January 6, 1976, was Mona Stafford's 36th birthday. To celebrate, she and her friends Louise Smith and Elaine Thomas decided to drive 35 miles from their home in Liberty, Kentucky to have dinner at the Redwoods restaurant between Stanford and Lancaster, Kentucky. Louise Smith was driving them in her 67 Chevy Nova. The three women had an enjoyable dinner together. None of them drank any alcoholic beverages with their meal. Yeah, right. At about 11.15, the trio headed back home, expecting to be home by midnight. At Stanford, Kentucky, nine miles from Lancaster, they turned off Highway 27 and onto Highway 78 towards Hustonville. Just outside Stanford, a curious thing happened. A bright red object appeared in the sky, which Mona Stafford, at first, thought was an airplane on fire. As the object descended from the right side of the road to a point ahead of them, they could see that it was not an airplane, but a huge object, bigger than two houses. It was as big as a football field, Miss Smith said. Wow. The object stopped about 100 yards ahead of them, stretching across the road on both sides. It rocked back and forth for a couple of seconds and then moved off to the left. I mean, hold on just a second. Let me just, for real quick, can you, I mean, seriously, man, can you imagine just like all of a sudden this huge thing that just goes across both sides of this road is just right in front of your car? Yeah, as big as a football field. Oh my gosh. Jeez. So they kept driving and assumed that whatever it was had kept going. However, after they had been about a quarter of a mile a blue light appeared through the rear window of the car. At first, they thought it was, you know, a highway patrol car with its lights flashing. But soon, they realized that the flying object had circled around and had come up behind them. Suddenly, something wrestled control of the car away from Louise Smith. The car accelerated, even though Miss Smith took her foot off of the accelerator, and the speedometer was soon on 85 miles per hour. Mona Stafford in the front passenger seat tried to help Louise regain control of the car, but was not possible. The women began to feel a burning sensation in their eyes. The ignition lights lit up on the instrument panel, an indication that the car's engine was stalled, but they were still speeding along. They saw a wide, brightly lit road ahead of them, and then, seconds later, the scene in front of them became Highway 78 a full eight miles from where they had just been. Checking the time, they found that incredibly, an hour and 20 minutes had passed. They arrived at Louis Smith's trailer in Liberty at about 1.25 a.m., almost an hour and a half later than they had initially expected. They went inside to collect themselves and found that each had a red mark like a burn on the backs of their necks. Mm. And they all had that burning, irritated eyes. Louis Smith went into the bathroom and removed her watch to wash her face. She saw that the hands of her watch were spinning as a, at a much higher than normal speed. Wow. When she splashed water on her face, she found that contact with the water caused pain in both her hands and her face. So they went next door to their neighbor, a guy named Mr. Lowell Lee, and they told him what just happened. He had them separately sketch the object that they had seen. The sketches were extremely similar, if not identical. They called the police and the local Navy office, but neither showed any interest in their story. In the days that followed, Mona Stafford had more problems with her eyes than did the other two women, and she sought medical help for severe conjunctivitis. Louis Smith's pet parakeet was now inexplicably terrified of her, and the bird died a couple of months later. Mm. Smith's car also began to develop mysterious electrical problems. The Navy office reportedly gave information about the story to the news media, and the story was soon in the newspapers. Hearing of the case, Jerry Black of MUFON... Mutual UFO Network. That's right. Set up an interview with three women. Also, J. Allen Hynek of SUFOS. How do you oh, say man. that? The Center of UFO Studies? Hynek is awesome. Yeah. And Jim and Coral Lorenzen of APRO, the Aerial Phenomenon Research mm, Organization. I don't know. 
also investigated the case. The investigators found that other individuals had independently reported sightings of a UFO in the Casey and Lincoln counties that same night. In July of 1976, Lexington Police Department Detective James Young separately gave the three women lie detector tests regarding this experience. They all passed with no problems. Later that same evening and continuing into the next day, extensive hypnotic regression of the women was performed by Dr. R. Leo Sprinkle. And uh, here's what happened within the regressions or whatever. Here's what they remembered. Listen closely to this exclusive portion of Dr. Sprinkle's original hypnotic interview with Louise Smith and note her anguish as she relives the experience. It was right over me. It's right over you. Okay. Okay. What is it? Oh. It looks like it's going to crash. God, what is it? Didn't know what it was. It was really frightening. What happens now? Three of the women remembered vividly what had taken place during the last 80 minutes that they were brought aboard a UFO. Elaine Thomas reported that she had been lying on her back in a long, narrow, incubator-like chamber. The humanoids looked to her like small, dark figures, which she estimated to be about four feet tall. So she reported that a blunt instrument was pressed hard against her chest, causing a lot of pain while something else encircled her throat. Each time she tried to speak, she was choked. Jeez. She cried softly under hypnosis as though reliving a horrible ordeal. It felt like hands pressing on her throat, and she could see shadowy figures passing all around her. They won't let me breathe. I can't get away, she cried. Under hypnosis, Mrs. Smith said that she had been in a dark, hot place and something had been fitted over her face. She begged the occupants to let her see, but when they did, she immediately closed her eyes, as what she saw was so frightening. She could not describe the beings, however. She told investigators that the interior of the UFO was very dark and that she was very frightened. She pleaded with the kidnappers to let her go, to let go of her arm. She finally cried out, I'm so weak, I want to die. Still, later, she asked the beings if she could go, and the next memory she had was that of seeing a streetlight. Mona Stafford's memory was of lying on a bed in what seemed to be an operating room, with her right arm pinned down by some invisible force, while three or four figures dressed in white gowns sat around her bed. Apparently, Mrs. Stafford was not as overcome with terror as the others, but she did say that she seemed to remember being tortured and that at one point her eyes felt as if they were being jerked out of her head. Her stomach felt as though it had been blown up like a balloon. Next, she reported that the humanoids were pulling at her feet, then bending them backward and twisting them. I can't take any more, she screamed, then lapsed into silence. The next thing the three frightened women could remember was driving to their neighbor's house. The time was actually 1.30 a.m., nearly an hour and 20 minutes were missing from their lives that night. Louise reported that her neck hurt, and when Mona examined it, she saw that strange red mark, about three inches long and an inch wide, like a burn that had not blistered. Elaine's neck had the same type of mark on it. Although the burn marks were gone in about two days, the three women still could not account for their time loss nor recall anything from the time the car was pulled backward until they were driving about eight miles from where they first saw the UFO. Following the hypnotic sessions, they were given the polygraph tests by Detective James Young of the Lexington Police Department. Young, in a sworn statement, said, It is my opinion that these women actually believe they did experience an encounter. 
Dr. Sprinkle, who performed the regressions, stated that the contortions and the crying that these women showed, you know, during the uh, hypnosis. And it would, it would make a believer out of you. The three women, in his opinion, had specific impressions that indicated to them that they had been observed and handled by strange beings. He felt it would have been impossible for them to fake their reactions, and he commented that their experience during the time loss was similar to reports provided by UFO recipients who had similar experiences. The report of abduction by aliens, memory loss, missing time, and the shape of the UFO are all familiar to UFO investigators. For this is not an isolated episode. The three women were all known to be lifelong churchgoers with excellent reputations in their community. It is, in reality, but one more report of a physical examination of Earth humans by beings from other points in time or space. Hey, all you alien greys and abductees, welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown and Tyler Benz. What's up, brother? Well, I love this story. Man alive. It's right? awesome. Yeah. Just dead yeah, silence, then. Huh? I, answer, I, mean, I answer the and, question. And there's our episode, guys. Last week, we had one of the longest episodes ever, and this week, we're just going to keep it short. So there you go. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for stopping by. We want to thank our sponsor. Yeah. And as um, always. <laughs> yeah, man. This story, when I came across it, 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 well, first, let me just say this. We have been wanting to do a UFO episode. Oh, yeah. Even before the podcast started mm-hmm. right yeah it's something that we've been wanting to talk about forever but just like any of the other stuff that we're into uh like bigfoot or cryptids or really just paranormal and stuff there's just so many accounts there's just so much back information yeah. and just tons and tons of stuff that it kind of gets intimidating because you just don't know where to begin mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so that's kind of part of the reason why we've not avoided talking about it but just haven't really gotten there yet but I got to say, man, I feel like the universe was trying to tell us something or or, or whatever because literally... Oh, I'm psyched about this. um, I guess it was just a couple nights ago. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on the the last podcast, I think, that, you know, every night that we can, that it's not raining or something, my family and I will go out into the backyard and, you know, get fire in the fire pit going and um, roast marshmallows and the kids will run around and kind of work off that chocolate and marshmallows that they just ate. And we just kind of relax, you know, and it's super, it's just like the perfect time of year for that because it's still kind of cold, but not too cold so that you can be outside. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there and all of a sudden my wife says, hey, is that a drone? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, because usually you can hear a drone coming yeah you, know, you pr- hear the little pretty like, loud mm-hmm. right even the quiet ones there you can still hear them it, well and it's that like sort of even though it's not necessarily so loud it's like that really high frequency it sounds like a weed eater almost like a yeah or like an insect you know something you can tell it's something right mm-hmm. flying above and, and and if you've been around them enough then you kind of recognize that as oh there's a drone well i didn't hear anything so i looked up and pretty high up above us i saw what I guess could have been a drone initially. Uh, I thought, well, and then I was like, well, I don't hear any noise. But as I looked up at it, the it did like this weird like back over front sort of like tumble maneuver, yeah. and then um, just a couple like a maneuver that a drone couldn't do, right? Uh, and then like did a couple other twists and turns and stuff, and like a what is it called? Like a roll. I guess I, you know, I'm not um, super, yeah, well read in the in aircraft maneuvers, but it did like a roll maneuver, and then it just kept on flying overhead. And I thought, and the first thing I thought of was like, I got to get my, I got to grab my phone and take a video of this because I don't know what this thing is. It's not, you know, it was kind of triangular in shape, um, and it was really high up there, 
And so I thought at first, my first initial reaction was, is it a piece of trash? And then I'm like, how does a piece of trash, yeah. how does a piece of trash fly up that high? And then second to that was like, well, maybe it's just like, you know, a party balloon that somebody let go and whatever. But it was black with no markings on it. Again, yes, it was pretty high, but for the most part, you can, it, there was still enough light outside that you would have been able to see some sort of like shimmer of like, you know, that balloon material. Yeah, the mylar balloons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see any of that. It was like flat black. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was. It just I, kept, I didn't even think about that, but it was kind yeah, of like a flat. Just like flat, mm-hmm. flat black. And it just kept on going kind of in the direction that it was headed the whole time, but doing like weird sort of like maneuvers, really. Yeah. And then. So I get out my phone and I record a little bit of footage as best I can, and then and and we'll put this up on our Instagram, so you can see the the real uh, the real footage there. Um, but I asked my son, I'm like, "Do you think it was a UFO?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." So that's what I'm talking about. A couple things that I first it was just like you know what, we just got to do a UFO episode now because you know you yeah. just have to. Mm-hmm. And then second, like it taught me that. You know, one of my biggest beefs, not that I am a skeptic of UFOs in general, I actually, especially after reading some of these books that we'll talk about, really think that there's absolutely, you know, unidentified flying objects yeah. all over the place that have been seen for centuries. Oh, um, definitely. But I'm skeptical a lot of the time of the footage that we see, you know, not only is it shaky, but sometimes you're like, well, that looks... because videography has advanced and special effects has has advanced in such a way now Mm -hmm. that like you can even with some pretty like cheap applications and stuff you can make a pretty convincing video that you know can make something look like it is flying about you know whatever Mm -hmm. but looking back at my footage you know I, i couldn't the the dang object was so high up at that point once i grabbed my phone which another argument always is like, why don't we have more like just clear footage? Everybody has just really good cameras on their phones now. Yada, yada, yada. They've always got them. I've always got my phone with me or in my pocket. Still, it took me a while to open it up, get the camera out, point it up towards the sky. At that point, I couldn't see anymore. So I zoomed in and you'll see when you watch this footage, like it's not, it's pretty shaky and it's not the best, you know? And so it kind of, you know, it kind of taught me like the realistic, I guess, expectation to have mm-hmm. and to use as as like a judge for all of the footage, whether it's UFOs or especially Bigfoot, man. Like I would say like if you're in a forest and you see a gigantic creature, it's going to scare the crap out of you. You're not going to be able to film it very well. You're just going to be running pretty much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, that kind of prompted this episode's topic and then whenever I was just kind of going through one of the several books that, that we have, I just thought this was actually like a really kind of good story to talk about that's, you know, it's not, I guess, super famous. I mean, it's not as famous as like, say, like Betty and Barney Hill. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, for the listeners that have never heard of that one, you know, you just Google it. But And, uh, and we'll do that episode. That, yeah. That's and we'll talk more, about that one in depth. Yeah, classic kind of. And a lot of similarities to kind of what happened with these ladies as well. Um, Yeah, man. I mean, what did you think about, I guess, what struck you the most about the Stanford abduction? Um, So for me, I was actually really surprised that you chose this one because it is is lesser known. And actually, well, the interesting part about this one in particular is there's actually several of these that are fairly similar. Uh, you know, they're older ladies, you know, they're driving back from somewhere later at night, you know, 11 or 12, and, you know, they, they see something, their car gets stopped at the middle. Of, there's, there's one that's almost identical to this that I actually thought, I thought this is where you were going with this mm-hmm. because it's almost identical. There's, there's two women in the front seat, uh, their grandson in the back, and it actually ends a little more tragic that the two ladies end up getting, you know, there's a huge light overhead. Uh, it ends up melting the dash uh, on their car. And I, again, I can't, I can't remember the exact, like what it's called or anything, but it melts the, the, the dashboard and the ladies and the kid, uh, the, both ladies, their hair ends up falling out um, and they end up with uh, cancer. Um, and 
Mm. You know, or, or basically radiation poisoning, first of all. And I think that, I think from what they said, I think a little bit of that probably played into this one as well. I I had heard of this one, but I didn't know I didn't know that the polygraph was totally aced by everybody in the car. Mm-hmm. I always think that's that's really cool. You know, and they had like sort of physical they walked away with sort of physical sort of ailments caused by the event. I always think that's mm-hmm. really interesting. And also, I don't even know if you realize this, but uh, J. Allen Hynek and Leo Sprinkle both are, you know, kind of heavy hitters in the sort of the boots on the ground, in the UFO sort of community. Oh, wow, yeah. uh, so to have both of those guys kind of uh, show up for this case, you know, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Right, kind of bodes well for the uh, for the authenticity, if yeah. you will. Mm-hmm. And you know, there were a couple of details that kind of stood out to me. One, just like the sheer terror again of of you know driving down an old country road or just an old highway, and a craft the size of you know that just basically goes all the way across both sides field. of the road, a football field size, pointing lights back at you. That's yeah. terrifying. And then losing control of the vehicle and it just constantly like keeping just like it's accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. And then all of a sudden, you know, it reminds me of something else we talked about in one of our earlier episodes where it talked about, again, I think it was a couple of females in a car. Mm -hmm. They were driving and then they thought they crashed into something, but it ended up being... I want to say we talked about this on the Man from Tarot episode. Was this the... They Um, saw like the egg creatures... I think so. Was it I believe, uh, the I, I picnic? So. Was this the picnic rock? I don't know. <laughs> Essentially, they saw they they were driving and they saw these like I think creatures and it freaked them out even more. Mm-hmm. And the next thing they know, they crashed into an embankment that wasn't there before. Right. And they looked behind them and they didn't just drive through like a weird field or something. So Mandela effect. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, there, there's. It's just interesting. And, you know, you mentioned too, like Betty and Barney Hill, mm-hmm. and then that there were a lot of similarities with other cases where it's a couple of, you know, ladies driving late at night and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times anybody listening to this would potentially think, well, you know, kind of sounds to me a little bit like cautionary tales for young ladies late at night driving around. You know, maybe it's just uh, yeah. a way for them to kind of like, socially say hey stay at home stay safe things happen yeah Yeah. that kind of thing and i i get that Mm -hmm. and anytime there are multiple events around the same time period it's easier for us now to kind of assume because of how easy information can spread now in 2021 right that that could happen and certainly i think in the 70s once things hit the newspaper could somebody come up with this plan to just have a story and get some infamy and stuff? Yeah. Sure. Okay. But mm. what's fascinating, this is where I wanted, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the book Passport to Magonia um, by Jacques Vallée mm-hmm. because what's super interesting to me that never was before in, in terms, it, it wasn't even on my radar, so to speak, mm-hmm. is this correlation between UFOs and, and um, fairy abductions, you know, otherworldly beings, and how it incorporates into folklore across the span of human history, yeah. man. And that's what Passport to Magonia is about. I couldn't recommend this book any more mm-hmm. than, I mean, it is just fantastic. And his approach is so cool because he'll be describing an event much like this one, and then he'll jump to one that sounds just almost identical. Yeah. And he'll even ask the reader, basically he'll say, now, it's kind of the same way that I just did where, yes, it's easy to assume that you know these people had heard of this story, uh, but this happened in Rome, Italy in 1750. Right. And you're like, exactly. what? Yeah. You know, and there are all these historic accounts, man, of, like you said, you mentioned fairies and there's, I mean, that's where we could get so far into the weeds of mm-hmm. stuff because it, then it starts getting into like, like fairy abductions. Yeah, fairy abductions. Um, yeah, that to me that's like the that kind of stuff and that sort of parallel between 
you know, the abductee, UFO sort of abductee phenomenon, and then 16, 1700s uh, Ireland or Scotland or England, you know, exact same thing. It, it would be, you know, don't go out too late. You know, the fairies will, will abduct you and they'll trap you in, you know, fairyland or whatever. Uh, it's literally the exact same kind of thing. It's, you know, big, they had big eyes, they had, you know, all that. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I think this is something that has, unfor- well, fortunately, for the people, but unfortunately for the lore and like just how cool it was, a lot of the stuff has sort of gone away, I think, in our more modern age. But, you know, I guess late 50s, 60s, and I guess maybe throughout the 70s entirely, you know, there was a lot of like this sort of with UFOs and abductees and stuff, there was a lot more of the nuts and bolts aspect to it as far as like mm-hmm. your evident your evidential kind of stuff like your like the lady's watch like spinning extra fast and the car being yeah the car like, like still driving and like speeding up when she pulled her her foot off the uh, acceleration that stuff's really really cool and to me that's like that's kind of just an earmark of that age of that sort of atomic age americana that is so cool and so sort of iconic when you think of you know what Stanton Friedman would say you're more nuts and bolts, which is like very. Mm-hmm. This is a this is an actual thing. This is a metallic craft, and a lot of times they would have rivets, and so yeah, I, I love that stuff. It's super interesting, and you know, one thing too that always kind of intrigues me is the is the loss of time stuff. Oh, in yeah. any kind of the either fairy uh, or UFO abductions, and again, like this book, Password of Magonia, kind of compiles all of these things mm-hmm. and doesn't make a uh you know it doesn't really make a, a, a thesis or anything it's really just kind of like presenting this information right exactly. to be considered mm-hmm. which is really really cool like one of the one of my favorite quotes that i kind of uh underlined in the book says it is important however to note the continuum of beliefs for the continuum leads directly from primitive magic through mystical experience, mm-hmm. the fairy faith, and religion to modern flying saucers. Yeah. And once you start looking at all that kind of stuff, now am I sitting here saying like any kind of religious archetypes and any kind of religious beliefs or old sacred texts and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. are they talking about UFOs and all this kind of stuff? Hey, man, I don't know, and I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is it's extremely interesting how humankind have had these experiences with, I'm just going to call them otherworldly beings. Yeah. And so many of the experiences are parallel in what happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, to me, that that's, that's one of the cooler things about this. If you're, I think if you're open enough to, you know, kind of, and kind of the way that Jacques Vallée does it is he doesn't necessarily come down on one side or the other. It's very sort of like, these are the stories. These are the facts. These are the reports or the evidence. And to me, it's interesting because it's like you have, you know, I mean, even if you look back biblically in uh, Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel's wheel, they call it. But like he, he had visions of these these wheel, wheels within wheels. And um, they're actually a, a type of angel called the Ophanim, which is which in Hebrew just means wheels um, or the mm. Galagalim, I think. I may be messing that up, but um, basically their their literal shape is just these sort of glowing, spinning wheels within wheels, or like almost like a gyroscope. And so, you know, if if you're open enough to not let the dogma of whatever religion you're in or whatever, it, you know, I feel like as humans we we know so little that I think it's okay to just say I don't know, and I think it's okay also to say. Well, I mean, even even in the Bible, he had visions of, of these spinning wheels, and those were angels. Well, how? It, I don't think it's that far of a leap to to draw the comparison of. I mean, I have some some in instances that I had or encounters or whatever that uh, you know we'll eventually get to on an episode where I saw these orbs um, in my old loft that I used to live in up in Cleveland, Georgia. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you start to think uh, and draw the sort of 
the, the parallels to, you know, how different was what I saw? How different was that to what maybe Ezekiel saw in his vision in the Bible? Mm-hmm. I just, I, I love that stuff. I love the, just how similar a lot of it is if you're, if you're open enough to kind of just, just look at it from the surface of, of mm-hmm. being like, I mean, I don't know, maybe they are the same things. I mean, what, w- what are the the little drawing or the little paintings, the little discs, you know, that they've they were painted in all of the Renaissance paintings? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do we know that? I think it's just so easy to be like, oh, well, and the skeptics will just immediately dismiss it and say, oh, well, that was just a a marker of the times, and that was just the, the sun or the moon. It's like I don't I don't believe that for a second. I mean, yeah. some of them literally, if you get up close, you literally see a little man in a ship, mm. and this is long before dirigibles long before any sort of blimps or any kind of flying device. And so how is it that much of a leap to think all those things, that all those, the masters, the great Renaissance painters of their time were seeing the exact same thing that that these two ladies were seeing in 1976? 100%. And then also, like, this is just going to give you an example of how Jacques Vallée, you know, if you're picking up his book to kind of get an answer... No. You're gonna be frustrated <laughs> because, like, just just as a point, like this is such a great quote from his book, and it says it would be nice to hold on to the common belief that the UFOs are craft from a superior space civilization mm-hmm. because this is a hypothesis science fiction has made widely acceptable. Right. Because we are not altogether unprepared scientifically and even perhaps militarily to deal with such visitors. Unfortunately, however. The theory that flying saucers are material objects from outer space manned by a race originating on some other planet is not a complete answer. Mm-hmm. However strong the current belief in saucers from space, it cannot be stronger than the Celtic faith in the elves and the fairies yeah. or the medieval belief in lutens or the fear throughout the Christian lands in the first centuries of our era of demons and satires and fawns. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it cannot be stronger than the faith that inspired the writers of the Bible, a faith rooted in daily experiences with angelic visitation. Oh, there you go. (laughs) In short, by suggesting that modern UFO sightings might be the result of experiments of a scientific or even super scientific nature conducted by a race of space travelers, we may be the victims of our own ignorance. Mm. And so it's just incredible because it just really kind of... I don't know, it just opens up the possibilities for not only just one set of sort of ideas of of what these kind of things are, mm-hmm. but a ton of sets of, of different creatures from all around the world and all different parts of human history and stuff. Like we kind of said at the top of the of the show, we've kind of I don't I don't not avoided, but maybe just a little bit of avoidance in, in covering even just a single encounter like the Stanford abduction, just because there's just so much that we feel or we felt like we might be doing like a disservice to it in general. But I think this is a great way to kind of get started and then to get our listeners like interested in kind of looking up stuff, you know, on their own, like Mm -hmm. grabbing a copy of Passport to Magonia or, um, the other book that I kind of got this abduction story from was by Brad Steiger, and it's called Real Monsters, Gruesome Critters, and Beasts from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a great book for just story after story after story about everything you could think of. Yeah. Um, and I think, let me say this too, you know, I know that we're kind of glossing over it, and honestly, I think this deserves its own episode. You know, we keep talking about the fairies. And so mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's important that we put it out there that you got to think. Like every everything that we, you know, just when we hear the word fairy, we're thinking of Tinkerbell. We're t- thinking of cartoons and mm-hmm. merchandise and toys made for little girls. And honestly, that's not how it's, they've ever been, portrayed throughout history until the late 1800s. I mean, fairies didn't even, the concept of fairies even having wings didn't even come out, I don't think, until uh, there's a particular little era that that uh, includes Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, he wrote uh, Sherlock Holmes and all that, but these little girls claim to see these fairies in England, and uh, it's called the Cottingley Fairies, if you want to look it up. But the idea that they even had wings 
you know, kind of originated sort of around that time, sort of the more Victorian era, similar to how like the cherub angels, you know, were kind of given that uh, look as like little babies, you know, in the, Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. Renaissance era. You know, none of these things, like the cherubs were not even, you know, that's not a biblical thing. That's not how they were supposed to look. Same with the fairies. They were just kind of created and given this look. And that's how we've portrayed it from then on, then until now. And so I think, I think it does a little bit of a disservice to the concept and it, it, um, it kind of gaslights it in a way of yeah. like, oh, well, I'm not going to take that seriously because, you know, what are they talking about? You know, Tinkerbell. And it's like, well, that's not really how it's ever been <laughs> looked at. I mean, these were things that were looked at as very, very serious. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in uh, like the Celtic, uh, you know, fairy faith and, and mm-hmm. like the Druids and all that stuff. I mean, it was very, very serious. I mean, you didn't, you know, there were certain things you didn't do. There were certain, you know, you would carry a piece of iron in your pocket to to keep the the dark fairies away. You know, there's all these like little sort of rituals and like little superstitious things that they would do, but these are all like very serious things. These aren't just like these cute little, you know, kind of fairies as we're sort of, uh, you know, made to believe. More accustomed to now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of reside right on the fence of, of both sides of that in terms of... Tonight's program has been brought to you by... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Tyler, man, you know, there's one thing that got me through this COVID craziness. I got in the mail a couple of items from our merch store. Mm. And I got to tell you, man, this crew neck sweater is maybe one of the most comfortable things I've ever worn. The inside of it is like, I don't know how to explain it, man. I, I'm, I'm never going to take this thing off. Wait a minute. We have sweaters? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Sweatshirts. This sweatshirt is the most comfortable thing I have ever put on. I also got this like really cool trucker cap that says B-Rad on it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if people haven't already they need to go check out our merchandise store they can find it at shop.spreadshirt.com slash that would be rad so again that's shop.spreadshirt.com that would be rad america's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions it was very for over 200 years there have been reports of giant man-like creatures from another dimension another world i don't know the most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You are listening to That Would Be Rad. Like, in some ways, I'm kind of, I'm, I, like, there's just this new movie that came out on Netflix. It's like the Bigfoot family or something. You oh, know? yeah. Like, the dad is a scientist who was performing some kind of genetic experiments mm-hmm. and mixed some DNA with Bigfoot, became Bigfoot, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like part of me while I was watching it with my kids this weekend, well, I was kind of like, you know, what a way to just make it stupid. Sort of homogenize but at the same time, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it also provides like a little sort of like anchor point in these kids' minds that kind of can make them a little bit more interested to learn about like the other stuff later in life. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so even movies like, you know, Men in Black, um, even though they're not even close to being realistic about, you know, the real sort of men in black stuff, mm-hmm. it's still kind of fun to, it's entertaining. Anyway, is the, is the, is the short version of it. Yeah. You know what else is kind of funny about all these? Um, Tyler, 
especially in comparison to me, just like automatically has this knowledge just like stored in his memory banks. A lot of it is new for me, which is super fun to kind of learn about this stuff. Oh, yeah. But it's buried so like strongly and deeply rooted in so much that even in our D&D campaign, when our characters were, you know, taken to this like safe place by this lady, we, we our, our characters had like fought through the nine hells and had been like fighting demons and, and all this kind of stuff. And we finally get, we rescued this lady and she takes us to this like safe sanctuary or whatever. And she offers us food and Tyler's like, wait a second, man. If a fair, if you if never take you the food or drink, never take the food or drink. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, whatever. And, and then, you know, of course we're just kind of like, come, <laughs> come on, man, you know, but it's just funny because it's like, that's how deeply rooted yeah. when we're thinking about all kinds of things. Um, you know, which if you're if you're interested in the food and drink of fairies or ETs or all that stuff, uh, there's an an author by the name of Joshua Cutchin who is a mm. brilliant writer. He's written a book called The Trojan Feast. You can get it on Amazon or whatever, but it, it's it's a really really cool way. And the entire book is is just sort of talking about you know sort of partaking in like the the food or drink of a lot you know all of these sort of phenomena and like what the sort of repercussions are because that that was the thing is like with the fairies is like you never ever basically if you were abducted by the fairies or taken uh, they would take you to wherever their their fairyland was and again this is very very like serious stuff to those people back then and mm-hmm. it was just like the number one thing was like never drink never eat because that would Basically, that would anchor you to that world so you could never come back. Mm. And it is interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities similarities and a lot of parallels to, you know, kind of doing the same thing with sort of the nuts and bolts, like early, you know, mid 50s UFO lore. Alien grade type stuff. Yeah. I mean, and what was the one? I, and again, I, I'm putting myself on the spot, but basically the the guy came out of a craft and he mm, offered. You're talking about the pancakes. Yeah, the buckwheat pancakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, I can't. I can't. Is. I can't think of it. I can't think of it either. Um, Darn it! I mean, it's easy to find. Just look it up. But this this yeah, was like the 50s, maybe even 40s, actually. Mm-hmm. And he, and he saved. I think some of them. Yep. And there's like a picture in the newspaper where he's like holding up one of these like, you know, bland pancakes or whatever. Well, kind of. I, I gotta say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I do no, have to ahead. say the one interesting thing about that is. No, that, you're not. You're not sorry. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. The one interesting thing about the pancakes is, is yeah, he was given, I think, three. I think he tried mm-hmm. one, actually. The mm-hmm. other one he ended up giving to the police department, which eventually made it into the hands of the FBI, even, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of wild. But one of the things about it, whenever they did testing, is it had zero trace of sodium or basically salt. Right, right, and right. And that's right, another yeah. interesting thing. If you look back at, like, in fairy lore, salt was a thing that repelled the fairies. Mm-hmm. And demons, too. And right? demons, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you, and same with, like, demons. And, and you know, if you look into the Middle East, the way that we view sort of demons, you know, they have the jinn, which, D-J-I-N-N, which another thing that's sort of been uh, sort of watered down and Disney-fied or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. the genie. But yeah, the, these are all like really things that were pretty vicious and and were really taken seriously back in the day. And uh, yeah, yeah, but it's fascinating. And I think with all that stuff too, as much of there is kind of like scary, kind of darker type stuff. There's also like good, happy stuff too. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. amongst all these uh, cultures and stuff. But just like anything, you know, good and evil exists, and uh, I think it doesn't, you know, discriminate on. Uh, which world it, it belongs. Mm-hmm. Another thing too that's really fascinating, kind of circling back to, you know, was what we saw in my backyard a UFO or not? I don't know. But I think it's really cool. You can hear in the video, my son goes, Yeah, but the UFOs in dad's book are kind of more like white. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and and uh so it's just neat to um to kind of look at that stuff, I will say for the most part, I kind of don't make those things super, super scary for the kids Yeah, because of all the things that we read or listen to, mm-hmm. you know, and listening to like the latest episode of the Belief Hole podcast, you know, there's scary stuff out there, stuff that like as a dad that's an avid camper, somebody that just loves outdoors, gosh, man, some of that stuff is pretty dang freaky, yeah. you know, and it's like mm-hmm. I don't really want to give my kids but certainly not my wife any more fuel 
to yeah. basically say, no, I don't want to go camping. Um, so anyway, I, I, I just keep it really light with the kids. You have to. In yeah. all of that stuff. Otherwise, yeah, we'll never go to the woods and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not that's not cool with me. So, <laughs> Well, well b- before we, we kind of move on, let's talk a little bit more about your your UFO thing. First thing, have you done, like I said, have you filed a MUFON report? No, I haven't filed the MUFON report yet, but I'm going to. Although I got to be honest with you, man, part of me is a little nervous too, because I don't want to be put on the quote unquote radar of... No, no. Dude, MUFON is like looked at as like a joke, I'm sure by any sort of government type. I mean, you think that, but like, look, here's something else that was fascinating. Just in the news relatively recently, you had that American Airlines, which by the way, Oh yeah. Ugh, like I hate American Airlines. I don't, mm-hmm. but anyway, you know, the recent event where something flew over top, it's kind of like in our intro song, that's audio actually taken from a UFO encounter uh, that two pilots had on a commercial oh, yeah. airliner. Mm-hmm. And so that recently happened again. There's been a lot of UFO activity um, out in Los Angeles. I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, if I just had to put like my thumb on it and say, okay, here's what it is. If, if you're listening and you want one of those kind of answers, here's what I think it is. I think, yes, there are a lot of really amazing high-tech things our government other our military and stuff have their hands on that is relatively top secret for a more like security purpose you know to have like the fastest or the quietest or the best planes or aircraft Mm -hmm. and whatever manned or unmanned in the field yeah period yep I, i definitely think that's a possibility i also think that there are tons of super rad things that exist that we don't really know anything about but reading about all of the things again spanning human history that have occurred that have parallel um sort of almost like bullet point things that that happened you know way back in time even in the medieval time oh yeah you know Mm -hmm. that similarly occur now is just so fascinating and i think I think the idea of our approach to it is when you look at these things, you can kind of like look at it and say, you know, I might not believe in that or I might I might be able to dismiss that, dismiss that, but that would be rad. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. One thing, though, again, going back to your, your sort of uh, the video you took, you know, I got to say my first thought was like, oh, well, this is kind of looks like a heart balloon, but then it, you know, it doesn't have any of the characteristics of like a, a mylar balloon. Mm-hmm. I know the skeptics are immediately going to say, "Oh, well, that's a, a Chinese lantern," but it doesn't look anything like that. Mm-mm. It's kind of spinning, and to me, and this is just my sort of subjective view on it, it looks like it has like a little bit of how do you explain it? Almost like it has like a weight. It doesn't look like it's this super flimsy, mm-hmm. you know, not even like a, you know, one-tenth of a pound, uh, you know, this tiny Mylar balloon, I just feel like it, that thing would just be going nuts and, like, the current, the wind currents and stuff would just be flapping, flipping that thing all over the place. This mm-hmm. looks like it has a little more weight because it is spinning, but it's, yeah. it's kind of end over end and it almost looks like it's, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's weird because, like, at different points, even when it was flying, like, directly overhead, it kind of... At first, you would think, oh, <clears throat> that spinning is like a consistent pattern or something. But then it would do sort of a random spin. Right. And I, I mean, and then it would just not do anything. It would just like kind of fly. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, you know, you read a bunch of accounts where somebody sees an object and then just like darts in another direction like super fast. Yeah. It really wasn't like that. It was kind of just a consistent um, flight path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Right with some, you know, interesting maneuvers and stuff that made me think, you know, in terms of just like sheer physics, Mm -hmm. it was just hard for, it it wasn't like, oh, that's normal for a man-made aircraft to do. So, you know, I don't know. I'm super, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm excited to kind of see what people think and comment on the, Mm -hmm. uh, on the, on our Instagram where, where we'll post the video. Yeah. 
And just to kind of see like, what are people's thoughts? Do they think it was a balloon? Was it a plastic bag? You know, again, like you said, it didn't really have the consistency to me of being so flimsy that it was like a plastic bag. It didn't have like that wave kind of that you would imagine a piece of plastic. It's something substantial enough that, you know, the closest thing that I could even think would be some sort of like balloon. But again, like, and it's just hard to see from the footage that I have, but when it was directly overhead, there was no markings. Um, yeah. Nothing that would indicate that it was anything. There was no shimmer to it. It was just super flat black, no sound. And that, and that's the, that is the thing with like, you know, any balloon that could, that could make it that high and that would be sort of flipping and sort of spinning end over end, you know, it would be a Mylar balloon. And even if somebody went so far as to like sort of spray paint paint it flat black i still feel like you would see that shimmer kind of shining through because mm-hmm. that sort of metallic looking you know uh the one sort of polarizing thing and and the frustrating part i think about um you know having these these amazing cameras in our pocket you know with our phones is like for this for example it's you know they're so far away you have to zoom in so then you zoom in and then you get the shaky cam effect and so mm-hmm. everybody is immediately going to jump on the like, or every, I don't say everybody, I mean every sort of over overtly skeptical person is going to say like, oh, well, you know, it's so shaky, you can't see anything, this has got to be this. And um, But I don't know, man, it, it is interesting. And maybe it is, I, I'm fine with, with this being a mundane thing if somebody offers yeah. a suggestion of like, oh, well, my dad works with this and this is this type of yeah right, right. weather balloon or whatever mm-hmm. i mean maybe it is but to me it looks yeah. it does look it's a it's an interesting video for sure it's super interesting and i mean like i said at the very very beginning no matter what even if it is just a balloon mm-hmm. fine that's awesome uh the it was just a cool experience and then also it really did teach me about like you know how easily yeah it is to miss a good shot and also have like relatively shaky footage uh, that just isn't ideal. So, yeah. you know, and I think um, it's just a perfect, you know, excuse for us to do a UFO episode. So I hope everybody listening enjoyed the, uh, the account of the Stanford abduction. Let me ask you this. Let's close it with okay. an answer to this question. Okay. Do people need to be like afraid? Because there's a lot of people out there that are just like terrified. Yeah. Myself included after like unsolved mysteries when i was a kid yeah oh do people need to be terrified of something like this happening to them um you mean like the the stanford yeah being being abducted or just you know do these beings have um ill will mostly or Mm. you know what are your thoughts well as far as like the abduction stuff you know, th- this falling into the nuts and bolts sort of era, I-, I think it would be, that would just be so terrifying because, you know, w- would we have a 747 back then? It- it's just a totally different thing. So I think, and again, this is another road we could kind of go down super far. To me, the abduction stuff is more of a maybe dimensional thing, maybe spiritual astral projection like sort of leaning into that kind of thing where Mm -hmm. but then that's again it's weird when when it's paired with like the around the 50s 60s and 70s to these like Mm -hmm. nuts and bolts crafts so Mm -hmm. i i don't think we're really seeing those things much anymore and if you're like me i think that if we're seeing a lot of this stuff now you know the the full-on crafts like the 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 tic-tac ufo footage Mm-hmm. Or the gimbal UFO footage that that was released by the Pentagon, I think if you're seeing that stuff, maybe it is UFOs. Uh, I think a lot of what we are seeing is sort of reverse engineered, you know, Bob Lazar Area 51 style. Mm. I think now more so than then, uh, you know, if you were going to be fearful about these things, it would be these sort of abductions, you know, in like your like a sleep state or in you know, more of that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to circle it back fully back around to our last episode last week, the, the mega long Mandela effect episode. One last thing to kind of 
plant into your brain, listener, mm-hmm. is let's let's just say that CERN has figured out mm-hmm. a way to go back in time. Yeah. Imagine somebody performing just a normal, just relatively normal physical examination of someone from back then to, mm. you know, maybe get a better idea of DNA, how, how they were different. You know, did they contain like uh, something that would help us fight off disease, whatever it is, okay, right. whatever the reason. I know that was kind of a jumbled thought. No, 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 I, I think I know what you're saying. I, I just mean like th- these rifts in time and space and stuff and people seeing crafts from, you know, it, to me, it's so fascinating to think that maybe oh, two hundred years from this now, is your life we figure out, favorite. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, dude. Two hundred years from now, we figure out. Hey, look, man, we could actually be a lot better off humanity-wise if we kind of because we've got this technology, we can kind of go back, make small changes <clears throat> here and there to maybe make some better, less tragic outcomes occur, and maybe like our generation is the one that is kind of like stuck between those two things. And so we're kind of like able to see the change. Oh wait, this is different than it was when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Something's happening. You know, our reality is kind of getting blurred in this thing. And like the people younger than us Mm -hmm. and the people older than us might, there's more of a distinction. And so it's like easier for them to kind of, you know, what, I don't know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's why when we look back at our lifetimes, there's like all these events that happened, you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the, um, you know, just seems like in our lifetime, so many just intense things have happened. Yeah. Maybe they were supposed to be worse or maybe there are things that will be corrected later. I mean, th- I mean I'm mean, i always going to steer the ship to ferry abductions. and mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I, which I love, man. It's because, awesome. I mean, God, I'm yeah, so glad that you I, read it's Passport. so much better. Yeah, dude, it's so much better than just like the traditional like, whoa, there's aliens. Because like, like I kind of said, I don't care if it's, hey, there's just aliens mm-hmm. or, hey, there's all these things and people just have all these accounts and they kind of like blend together. It's just amazing stuff, man. Passport is, it's just, it's become like one of my favorite books. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to buy that. Uh, that disembodied voices book that they talk about on voices. that belief hole episode. Oh yeah, dude. Ooh, yeah, it looks pretty amazing. cool. What's crazy though is the is the guy and I actually found a podcast episode where the author was like giving an interview and he he refers to it as called it's called like the Nishi, mm. which I don't know why how we've never sort of figured it out, but apparently I think that's sort of an overarching kind of sort of grab all for you know those abducting things those like yeah yeah because i didn't they didn't they say something about that like yeah or like make reference to that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and And i'd never heard of that i feel like i had enough to where it didn't seem unfamiliar but god man and like that's what i'm talking about dude the 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 thing being like calling the kid from the woods man yeah i mean it reminds me of sam the sandown clown yeah it reminds me of of all that stuff. It reminds me of me at the f-ing hospital, which yeah, dude. was so scary whenever I heard that. It was just like, mm. it hit me. I was like getting ready and I was like listening, but I was like getting ready at the same time. And it was just like, wait a minute. Like, cause if you look at it as like the same sort of way of like, uh, hey, it's like the siren song, the thing that's gonna, yes. yeah. The, yeah. the will of the wisp, the thing that's gonna lead yeah. you into danger and possibly your abduct you and it's like Mm -hmm. you know when they were talking about you know how would that look in the modern age and it's like now you're hearing beeps and like yeah like recorded messages yeah recorded like fake voice of like it can't it reminds me of everything from like flat of the net or uh, yeah yeah wasn't it flat of the navigator it called him into the woods Mm -hmm. and then like um just a bunch of that kind of stuff man where you just like and see that's what i'm talking about man (laughs) it's like God, dude. I mean, like, I definitely don't want to go camping by myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, it's just, ugh, it's freaky, dude. Well, one um, one thing, too, that you probably wouldn't know unless you've, like, really listened to, like, almost all the episodes of, uh, of Strange Familiars, but he even has a story, like, one of his, like, maybe even, like, the sort of weird sort of thing that, that kind of set him into this is, like, same kind of thing. He was in the woods. Everything went totally quiet, and out of nowhere, he hears like this weird, like digital, like beep or like a like it sounded. He said he made it out like it sounded like an eight bit Atari video game sound, 
And this is in the middle of the woods. No one is around. Almost like the simulation hit like a glitch, which is just why. And that, again, that goes. But he said, like, the forest went dead quiet. All the animals stopped making noise. He felt a feeling of dread. And then he heard, like, like a weird, like, 8-bit, you know, kind of sound, which is so just, like, it's just something that doesn't belong in that setting, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is wild. Yeah, man. So that's super, super bizarre. Yeah. We could just go on and on and on yeah. and on. Yeah. But instead of doing that, we'll save all that stuff for future episodes. <laughs> I mean, I just want to, you know, I think, especially after last week's long, long episode, I think one of the things that has really just come to light over the past 27 episodes, man, that's crazy. for us, for this podcast, is just how cool it is that we have this community of of people that we get to interact with yeah you know every day or so but i mean certainly after we publish an episode folks coming in and kind of like giving their take on it or sending us you know pictures of things that that deal with that episode or giving their opinions on things it's just like this little community of people that are like-minded mm-hmm. right you know and, and that's really aside from us just wanting to hang out more and talk about this kind of stuff in general being like one of the reasons why we started this. Oh yeah. It it was also to bring together people like us. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking yesterday about, you know, uh, us not really being a podcast, like a lot of other podcasts, you know, not really, Woody and I are into so much stuff that's so varied and so whatever. So for us, it's not really, we never really wanted to create a podcast that was sort of uh, created for a particular topic or field, you know, like just paranormal stuff or just 80s nostalgia or just this. You know, we, our the whole reason for the podcast is more of an appeal to the same kind of people that we are who would be into all this stuff and say maybe you don't really know about UFO events of the 70s, you know, or whatever. If you're like us and you're kind of, uh, you know, that kind of person around that kind of age group, around that kind of uh, just, you know, general sort of interest, you can trust us to know that uh, you'll probably be glad you did by the end of it. As you know, we, we just can't thank every single person that takes the time out of their mm-hmm. their busy days to give us a listen. We just, uh, we love it. Yeah, so. we really do. If you have some stuff to say to us uh, and you're on Instagram, shoot us a DM, uh, stories, you know, accounts or whatever, or if it's sort of more of a long form thing, feel free to shoot it to our email address, which is that would be radpod at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, pretty much like Woody said, thanks for coming back week after week. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. We love you, we appreciate you, and as always, be rad. That's the way it Oh
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future 